What's up, everybody? Um, everybody online, I see you out there and everybody in person. Welcome to South Point. Glad that you are here, especially if this is your first time. Seriously, welcome to South Point. We're really glad that you are here. Hey, if you call South Point your home, uh, do me a favor. Every time you come here, consider yourself a greeter. Just because there are people at the doors, that's awesome. It's amazing. But also, you have the opportunity when you're out in the lobbies to say hello to people, especially people that you don't know, aren't familiar with. Just say hi. My name is and introduce yourself. Let's be a welcoming, friendly place. All right, so does everybody know this idea or this phrase, cancel culture? Yeah, you're, you're alive, so I know you know about it because it's everywhere. It's like you can't stop not hearing about it. Anyways, cancel culture, right? You know what it is? It's this thing in our culture in a sense where people don't want you to say things that they disagree with. And so to the point where they would even try to strip you of your rights by bullying and censoring you, right? To not be able to say why? Because they hate it. Or maybe more accurately, they just don't want to hear things that they don't want to believe or agree with, right? And um, I, I remind you, like, this isn't new, okay? Don't get too up in an uproar. Like, there's nothing new about this. Remember when your kids were younger, two, three, four, five, who knows what, when they were younger, what did they do when they didn't want to listen to you? La, 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 Right? I mean, when they were two and Five maybe is cute once in a while, but that's what we look like when I'm 20, 30, 40, 50. Um, it's like Lloyd from that Dumb and Dumber movie, right? Like, let's be honest. It's easy sometimes, and we say things about those people out there that do this thing. When are we guilty of the same thing? When do we stick our fingers in our ears and scream, la, 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 because I don't want to hear something that God has to say? Because God says a lot of tough stuff, man. Let's just be honest. He says a lot of things that are difficult. And sometimes we don't listen. I sometimes have the propensity to, eh, don't want to listen to this one. I don't like that one, God. So let's just not maybe think about what other people do, because it's easy to pick apart what other people do. Today, we need to be honest. You need to be honest with yourself. What are you going to do with what you're going to hear today? Because that's part of the reason why we call this series Believe Him or Not. Jesus claims things that may seem so strange that it's hard to believe, like those Ripley's Believe It or Not Odyssey in those museums. But what if they're true? Could they be true? There are people that heard what he said and didn't believe him. There are people that heard what he said and believed him. And there are people that weren't willing and not even, even refusing to listen. What about you? So this is our big idea that it's gonna, we're going to unpack, but also you're going to have to wrestle with this today. Will you, are you willing to believe the evidence that Jesus is God? Are you willing to believe the evidence? Examine the evidence. Because maybe what Jesus says isn't exactly what you thought, you heard, you learned growing up. So what are you going to do with what you hear today? And my, my hope, my prayer in the beginning is this, that we don't stick our fingers in our ears, at least. All right, so one thing about Judaism from the very beginning, the core tenet belief, we call it monotheism, right? The creed that was originally voiced by Moses like almost 1,400 years before Christ, before Jesus. Hear, O Israel, our God, the Lord our God is one. Deuteronomy 6, right? So monotheism, there are lots of nations when Israel was a nation. Most of them were mono, I mean poly, polytheistic, many gods. Judaism was only one god, not many. Um, and since then, there's really only one other major monotheistic religion worldview outside of Judaism and Christianity, and that was founded hundreds of years after Christ by Muhammad. It's called Islam, right? In Islam, their major tenet creed is that there is no deity other than Allah. 
And so many Muslims would ask the question, if Allah is one, how can Allah have a son? And before you just completely dismiss it, like, come on. No, that's a legitimate question. How can God be one and yet not one? That's that's confusing. It can be difficult. And so many Muslims might believe or have been taught that Jesus actually never claimed to be God, number one. Some are taught or believe that um, Christians have corrupted the scriptures over the, over the centuries. And then some believe or are taught that we worship many gods, three gods in particular. Now, none of those are true. However, it's confusing and it's difficult. And for these Jews that were hearing this, it would have been difficult as well because they were sold that there's only one God. How can there be, wait a minute, how can you be God if there's only one God? It's a legitimate question to be asking here. So God, what we find out is scripture teaches that yes, there is only one God. So all Christians should believe there's only one God. However, it's not the same God of the Jews and it's not the same God of the Muslims. In 1 John chapter 2, he tells us, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. It's a package deal. And again, as a Christian, you say, yeah, duh, we know that. But, but that's difficult. God is one and yet three. So how we would say it, how we, it seems like we call this thing called the Trinity, just to try to give it human words, English words that we can make sense of it, that God is one, there is one God who is in three persons, uh, co-equal and eternal, Father, Son, Spirit, who share the same indivisible essence. Totally makes sense, right? Now you got it, right? That's the ba- I mean, that's what it teaches, but it's difficult, is it not? That's confusing, and yet it's exactly what Scripture teaches. So these Jews probably were having a hard time understanding, especially before the resurrected Jesus Christ. And like, whoa, you're saying you're God? How can a man be God? And so, again, what do we do with this information that we're getting? Last week, many, again, just rejected it forthright. What will we do? Last week, Jesus kind of begins this idea that he's a good shepherd or continue with this theme that he's a good shepherd. And um, if you missed that message, I really encourage you or any of the messages, you can always listen to the podcast, watch the video online. Um, but he talks about good shepherd and he continues this theme of he is our good shepherd. Um, he cares for his sheep. His sheep know his voice. His sheep follow his voice. Now, this is actually two months separated from the previous verses because that was the festival of shelters, and now they're doing the festival of dedication, which is, you probably know it as like Hanukkah. So it's like Christmas, uh, that Jewish people celebrate this festival of lights, dedication, during what we call, you know, Christmas time. So it's December He's teaching what's called, they call it Solomon's Colonnade. It's probably, imagine like a walkway, 40-foot columns kind of thing with a covered roof, something like that. And while he's teaching here, he is surrounded, which happens many times, and they, they're forcing him. They, they want a plain answer on this one question. Are you the Messiah? Just tell us right out, no more playing games. Are you the Messiah? They recognize what we should recognize, we have to recognize that it all hinges on this one question. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is he really God? So this is where he answers them. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now, up to this point, he said multiple things like I give you abundant life right here. He says, I give you eternal life. Who, only, uh, who other than God can give eternal life? That's what he claims. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I love this because in my mind at the beginning, it's like this is he's so confident in the way that he describes this loving, amazing Father slash shepherd. Man, these are my kids, and I take care of my kids, and you ain't gonna mess with my kids. Nobody can mess with my kids because they're my kids. I love that. Now, also, some people read this or they hear this and they think, well, well this thing called um, eternal security or once saved, always saved. Like, this, this teach that once I'm saved, then I'm, I'm good for the rest of my life always. Like, I can never lose my salvation. Is that what he's teaching? Is that what he's talking about? Well, let's talk about it for a second. The word he uses here is snatch, right? So snatch, no one can snatch. What does snatch mean? It means to take to force, right? And in this context, to take out of God's hand, the Father's hand. So imagine I have an ant in my hand and I walk into a classroom of kindergartners. No kid's gonna snatch this out of my hand. I can keep it out of their reach. And I may not be that strong, but I can usually take a kindergartner, okay? Right? So like, no kindergartner's gonna snatch this ant from my hand if I don't want them to. However, can the ant walk out of my hand? Yes, the ant can walk up my hand. So here, God is God, and there ain't nobody that can take something from God. No one can snatch one of his kids, even, not even Satan. Like Satan can say, oh, you're mine today, and boom, take him from God. No, you can't overpower God. But equally, is it true that then a Christian can walk, choose willfully to walk out of, away from? Why in the world would you think this? But can they walk? out of and reject that and walk back to their former life? That's the question that we got to wrestle with. Now, in the text, Jesus says that I'm giving you. He gives eternal life, right? So there's a promise. And how does, does God's promises all throughout Scripture, are they unconditional promises or are they conditional promises? Well, all throughout Scripture, they're conditional. If you do this, I will do this. If you don't, I won't. Think about the nation of Israel. They had this forever promise, this covenant with God that was supposed to last forever, but it was contingent upon their continued faithfulness. And the nation of Israel forfeited, gave up their national ethnic privileges, blessings as a nation by their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. So God allowed them to be invaded, captured, decimated, so they were unfaithful. However, God continued to be faithful. And even in the midst of their losing their ethnic and you know, national blessings, he sent Christ to be the spiritual hope for the world. And now, instead of the nation of Israel being his kingdom, it's the church. This is his kingdom. And he finished, fulfilled his old covenant with Israel. He didn't forget about it. He finished, fulfilled it in Christ. And now he gave us a new covenant in Christ. So God's promises were conditional. What about Jesus's? Are Jesus's promise conditional? Listen to the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So before Christ, I was an enemy of Christ. I was doing my own thing, evil thing. So I was an enemy opposed to God and odds with God. He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We literally just sang a song that talks about this. So in Jesus, his body, his resurrection, we have the opportunity to be reconciled 
which means at peace with, with God. Our debt is paid. So praise God, the lost can be saved. We can find salvation. But what's the next word? If. That's a conditional word. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Jesus' promises are not unconditional. It's conditioned on our continued faithfulness. Continued faithfulness. Paul says the same in First. He says it again in First Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preached to you which you received and which you stand. So how do they stand? They stand firm in faith. It's our. It's we accepted the testimony, the gospel. So we're in faith. We're standing firm, and by which you are being saved. Saved is an interesting concept. We don't think about sometimes. And in, 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 in scripture, there's a past tense of saved. I was saved when I confessed Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was saved. Also, I am being saved. I am being made into the image conforming to the likeness of Christ. I am being saved presently and continually. And also futuristically, I will be saved when Jesus comes back. I will be made into completion. So it has all three, past, present, and future tense. I am being saved. Saved. If, there's that word again, if the condition you hold fast to the word I preach to you. So God does his part. He's done what he needs to do. He provides his word. He provides the strength, comfort, the Holy Spirit, the power that we need to overcome Satan, to overcome temptation, encouragement of the church to continue. He's done his part. Do we choose to continue or do we reject it? Can we reject that, walk away from that? The, book, the books of Hebrews and Revelation in the New Testament are full. I mean, read them. They're full of warnings about walking away. Why would they be in there? Paul, um, in Galatians chapter four, verse, I mean chapter five, verse four, he writes to these Christians that apparently received Christ and his mercy and grace, but they were thinking about walking back to the Jewish law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. So you were justified by Christ, but now you are walking back to say that it's the law that justifies us. And if you do that, you're severed, separated from Christ. You have what? Fallen away from grace. Why would these be in the New Testament? Why would he warn us so many times if it's not possible? They're just empty threats, right? It's kind of like those things moms do sometimes. If you slam that door one more time, I'm going to throw every single one of your dolls in the trash can. Yeah, sure, mom. You going to back that one up with action? Probably not, right? If you don't clean your room up right now, you will never play the Xbox ever again. Sure. Nice one, mom. Try that one, right? You're grounded for the rest of your life. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, I'm picking on moms. Dads do it too, right? We're leaving. Bye. We're leaving without you. Yeah, right. Dads, you ain't leaving Walmart without your kids. Nice try, you know? Or, hey, I'm going to turn this car around right now if you don't stop. <laughs> like, have you said those? Has your parents said those? I mean, sometimes we say things as empty threats, right? We don't actually follow up on them. What about God, though? See, God doesn't make empty threats. So, and they're there. God is love. Here's the question. Like, is, is there free will? And if you, if you see that, you know, God allows us to have a choice. He's sovereign over everything. But do we have a choice? In other words, if you don't think that God has allowed free will, then God predetermines determines everything. And so you don't get to choose to accept him or reject him. God determines everything. If there is free will, 
then it seems inconsistent to say that we do have the opportunity to choose to accept Christ, but then somehow imply that after once becoming a Christian, we no longer have this free will, and now we cannot, we cannot, forced, we cannot ex- reject, right? That's, we get to wrestle with God's sovereignty and free will. If God is love, love is based on a choice, right? I choose to love you. I don't want to force you. I can't force you to love me. And so like in a marriage contract, we make vows to one another to say that I am vowing, I'm making a covenant with you to love you, right? Now the truth is I can't force you to be, a, to be faithful to that covenant. I can choose to be faithful to this covenant and love you. And if you love me, you will be faithful and love me back, right? And even in a marriage, there's a chance for reconciliation and, and forgiveness if something is broken, however, which is good, same with God. But God, again, so God is love, and he enters into a covenant with us, a relationship. But he doesn't force. And he is faithful. Sometimes we are not, and we choose to walk away from that covenant with him. God is love. Listen to the Apostle Peter, First um, Peter chapter 2. This one's tough. So just, I mean, this, I, this, one's, this one's tough to me anyways. It's right in your face. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So it sure seems like he's saying those that have found Christ, walked out of the defilement, the evil things, the things that I did before Christ, I have found him, and then I go back, and I'm overcome, I give back into and walk away, it's even worse for me than never have knowing Christ at all. For it would have been better for them to never know the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, pig, right, hog, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire, the mud, the muck. In Scripture, it's called apostasy, walking away, rejecting, after once receiving. I don't get real personal, I guess, or at least practical. Like, what does this have to do with any of us, right? Well, today there's this phrase that maybe you've heard, deconstructing faith. A lot of people are saying, like, I'm deconstructing my faith, um, which, again, I, I don't want to read too much into that, but that's what's happened. It's nothing new. People have been doing this from from the beginning of time, but they're deconstructing their faith. And oftentimes it's some kind of like scientific or educated reason of why I'm walking away from the church, oftentimes even faith in Christ. And so again, usually it's not just a, a thought thing. There's an emotion, there's things that have happened. And either the way that maybe someone was treated or felt like they were treated at a church, or there's a doctrine and scripture that they just don't like and don't want to adhere to, or a belief that I don't want to, have to, I don't want to follow. There's lots of things behind it. I, I'm not trying to minimize it at all. Oftentimes there's legitimate, honest questions and maybe some struggles. However, oftentimes it leads to blaming other Christians, a church, or even God himself for the decision that they make, that we make, that you make, which sounds exactly, if not exactly, what Peter just described. Maybe some of us even start thinking about constructing our own faith. Oh, I'll just get rid of that and take a little bit of this. You can see the danger, right? And it seems like Scripture is very clear that be careful. There's such a thing as walking away from. 
And when you do that, it's even worse for us than not even knowing him in the beginning. That's scary. Now, sometimes there are people who maybe come to this place in their life, and honestly, the truth is they were never really saved in the first place. Like outwardly, they were playing the game, looking the part, going to church, doing different things, but not really reborn. I mean, that's a thing. We know that. Some people just never really truly were changed or found faith in Christ. They were just kind of looking on the outside like. But that's not the case for everyone, I believe. It's rare, but there are Christians who walk away, reject Christ, and go back to their former way of life. Listen, it's not a, whoops, I just fell into it kind of thing. It's a determined act of their will. It didn't just happen. Sometimes people say that, have you ever heard, or maybe you've heard that like in, in infidelity, adultery in a marriage. Someone will say that, especially the one who cheated, will say, oh, it just happened. I don't know how. Like, come on, don't kid yourself. It didn't just happen. There were probably a series of decisions that led to this. And then in the moment, you've willfully made the decision to do this. It doesn't just happen. Some of us think like with God, you know, you're in the book and then he just Oop, I'm saved. That's good. He writes my name in the book. And then I sin and, oh, he erases my name. <laughs> and then I repent and he writes my name again. And it's just like a constant rinse and repeat cycle. Is that the what? Is that what scripture tells us? No, that's not what he does. It, it's a willful decision to reject Christ. Th- that's powerful. Anyways, the, here's, the big, here's the two things. The, the pendulum can swing in one of these two directions. And this is really what's most practical for us. You can have this sense of, a false sense of security. I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live because I can never lose my salvation. That's dangerous. And then also, you can, have, you can never have any sense of security. Like, I can never know if I'm saved or not. The whole erasing my name and then writing my name back in and then erasing my name and then writing my name back in. That's, neither one of them are helpful and they're both dangerous. I think one key to help us understand the kind of connecting the dots of sovereignty of God and human will or human free will is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in our last time. So how are we shielded? How are we kept protected? Through faith. So it's in faith, it's our faith, it's faith that gives us assurance. It's not in how good of a person I am, it's not in my feelings, it's not in what you say, it's in faith, it's in what is true about Scripture. If it's true, then it's in that, what Jesus has done for me. I am sinless before God. Not that I'm actually sinless because I sin, but he has removed my sin. And when God sees me, he sees me as sinless because he has placed Christ's righteousness on me. That's grace. And so, yeah, I can go to sleep at night not worried about my soul. I know where I'm, not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done. That's the assurance. I can be confident in his grace. Now look, whether if you believe in eternal security, once saved, always saved, or if you believe in free will, you're, you're all welcome. We all, you're all welcome here, and we're going to end up in the same place in heaven. Here's, here's, here's a really key determining factor, though. Be faithful. Continue in faith. Don't walk away. Continue. Now, Jesus goes on, and he says this other profound statement in verse 30. I and the Father are one. Again, some people will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. How else do you take that? And regardless of what you want to do with it, the people that heard this, those monotheist Jews, how did they hear it? Where they get ready to stone him. 
They say, right? And Jesus even said, why are you going to stone me? Uh, Verse 33, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. They knew exactly what he was saying. And stoning, capital punishment, was the punishment for blasphemy in the Jewish law. And it would be blasphemy because he is claiming to be God if it were not true. Or railing against like slandering God or even saying the name of God in an inappropriate way. One of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right, was do not use the Lord's name in vain. Don't use it flippantly. And so the Jewish people don't even, didn't even say, won't even say the name of God. We really don't even know how to pronounce the name of God. We believe it's Yahweh. They were so reverent towards God's name. So no Jew, nobody's going to go around saying God's name, especially not saying they are God. And Jesus was doing just that. And he ends up being crucified for it. So they get it. He definitely claimed this. There's a scene in the Avengers movie because he goes, he goes in, he starts talking about this whole, uh, they were God's, thing. Um, there's a scene in the Avengers movie where Black Widow uh, warns Captain America. He's about to jump out the plane to go fight Thor and Loki, you know, and he, she says like, hey, uh, be careful. Don't go with them. They're like gods. And Captain America's response was like, um, uh, there's only, trust me, I mean, there's only one God and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> it's like it's just a cool little line. And then later in the movie, Loki and uh, Hulk are getting ready to fight and Loki's like, I am a God, you dull being. I will not be intimidated by. And Hulk just takes him and smash, 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 just like destroys him, right? It's in that movie, right? Then he walks away and Hulk says, puny God. You know, it's just a cool moment. Jesus, okay, he's, he's, he's referring to Psalm 82, Um, where it says that these men who received God's word, they were like gods. He's not talking about polytheism or that we're all connected to God, we're all spiritual, like parts of God or little lesser gods. He's simply saying that in Psalm 82, these men who received God's word were like gods. They were authorities, they were rulers who in a sense were like representatives of God and how powerful, how important they were when, and God said that they were like gods. Jesus is saying If I am, if God's word is the Father is in me and I'm saying I am God, then you should believe me because Scripture talks about this. And this is when he makes one of these, this last kind of really foundational statement. He says, Scripture cannot be broken, verse 35. Scripture cannot be broken. If I really am who I'm saying I am, then you guys should be listening. And right here he says, listen, you can break your vows and your contracts and your covenants, but God cannot. Not just does not, God cannot because of the nature of who God is. He is truth. And unlike any other word in the world, the Bible is unlike any other word in the world. It's God breathed. It's our only authority for faith and practice because it's the only thing that is 100% reliable, absolutely true full of truthfulness and reliability in every way. Some will say that it's just a religious book that's good for spiritual ideas and things. And so like the historical stuff and the scientific and whatever else is in there really isn't reliable. It's not trustworthy. But what Jesus backs is the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. And not just that it isn't false, but that it cannot be. Scripture claims that it cannot be because it comes from God who never lies, who cannot lie, and is never wrong. And so not only is it trustworthy, it's completely trustworthy in its totality. Some like to say, well, 
it's great, it's trustworthy, but there's portions of it that aren't. But as soon as I start saying that portions of it aren't trustworthy, it undermines the entire thing. And Jesus says, no, this is trustworthy. Not only is it just trustworthy in our words, it's without mistake, contradiction, falsehood. It is trustworthy. And I guarantee for some, that's a difficult thing to hear. No, no. I, I, I appreciate that, Mark. No, there's some things in there that it's just, but I get it. It's just 2,000 years old. It's just he didn't know anything back then. We know better. That's not what Scripture claims. That's not what Jesus claims. You can do whatever you want to do with it. But if I'm examining the evidence in the source documents being the text, it makes claims of itself that it's from God. And if it's from God, then not only is it not, it cannot be. So be careful. And I just want to make sure this is what Scripture claims. Finally, Jesus tells them, listen, I, I've told you plainly. I've demonstrated to you. There is nothing in me that I have done and taught that you cannot see that I am who I say that I am. But this final verse in 38, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. If you don't believe me, look at the works. I mean, what else can I do for you? You can't look at me and say that there's anything in me that's false. You can't look at me and say that anything I've done isn't what, the God, what, what God is doing. And yet, many reject. And many put their fingers or hands over their ears, not even listen. Where are you? Where are we? Listen, I, sure, there are people in the world, call it society, culture, I don't know, you can call it whatever you want to say, you can say whatever you want to say. There are people in the world that will reject this, won't listen to it, will say whatever, but I'm not responsible for what other people do with it. I'm responsible for what I do with it. And now that I've heard, it actually claims what its plain answer, because Jesus gave them a plain answer. And I now know a plain answer. What am I going to do with it? If you've never really truly examined the evidence for yourself, would you be willing to go back to those source documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament? Start reading through the New Testament. Start reading through the Bible so you can examine it for yourself. If you have, then what are you going to do with it? Because now that I know, I can't remain neutral on the fence. Now I can't say I didn't know that Jesus claimed this. I now know. What am I going to do? So our big idea, once again, is what I told you you're going to have to wrestle with is are you willing to believe the evidence that Jesus is God? Do you? Have you come to that conclusion that he really is who he says he is? Then if that's you, then I want to encourage you, man. Like you found the real Jesus. Not the Jesus that other people have told you about, not the Jesus that other you've, you've thought you knew, but the real Jesus and what he actually did claim and proved it by his life and ultimately his resurrection because nobody can bring themselves back from the dead. That's something only God can do. So if that's you and you've come to that place where you're ready to confess that, yeah, Jesus really is the Christ, the Messiah, God, and I am in need of a Savior, then please text us, email us your name, or in a few moments you can come up front, meet one of our friends, you can have a conversation, we pray with you or help you take that next step, placing your faith in Christ, even being baptized today into the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that whole Trinity thing that whether we understand it or not, that's what happens. We even sang that song, like, that was powerful, his words kind of stood out to me, he says, it's sealed, when he came up out of the tomb, it sealed the promise, if you caught that or not. It sealed the promise, and then Romans tells us what's the seal of our faith, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> 
And that was how we begin to get the Holy Spirit. It seals our promise. Like God's been faithful to his promise. So come, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive that, that promise that he has been so faithful to. If you're a Christian, though, if you're already a believer, if you've already confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, what about you? What's your next step right now? How are you going to respond? I'm not, I'm not trying to be unloving or unkind, but I have to be honest. Or I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I choose to be honest. Because I need to hear this too. What have I done with his word? Because he makes three big claims today. There is only one God. And Jesus is God. Have you fully continued to accept that and to, and to teach that? Or have you began to sway on that? Is his word really his word? Or is it changeable, malleable, editable for you and future generations? Is his word trustworthy or only portions of it, which then make all of it really not from God? Where do you stand in that? What have you done with that? And are there things that he has said that you've placed your ears, your hands over your ears, <laughs> and said, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear that part, God. That's called disobedience. And I've done it. What about you? Where are you? Is there something that you're refusing to accept from God? Is there something that you're refusing to obey? Have you possibly began to construct your own way? Picking and choosing what you want to do? Hey, not that it matters. I love you. What really matters is God still loves you. But repent. Maybe that's your next step. And what better time than right now during time of communion? Scripture says there's three things we're supposed to do during communion to remember. And that's why we have the, the bread and the juice. The bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. That's the whole thing in Colossians. Reconciliation was possible because Jesus died on the cross, took our sins to the cross, paid for our, paid our debt that we owe so that we could be forgiven. We remember what he did. If it wasn't for him, we'd have no hope. If it wasn't for him, we'd have no salvation or forgiveness. We remember him. We also confess. We examine ourselves. We confess. Is there something that I am doing that is inconsistent with God's word? Am I being disobedient? I need to confess that. Did I harm my brother or sister this week? Lie to them? Do I need to go and confess to them, make it right and reconcile? I confess. And then three, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes back. Am I doing that? Are we doing that? So during this time of communion, I encourage you to reflect upon those three things, especially if you're a believer, as you partake in this meal called communion. If you're not a believer, then I am so glad that you are here. And today, right now, I just encourage you during these next few moments to consider what are you going to do now that you've heard the claims of Jesus and Scripture, what are you going to do with them? I'm going to say a, a prayer out loud, and I encourage you to pray silently wherever you are. If God really is who he says he is, and he loves you, what would you want to say to him right now? If these claims are true, what would you want to ask him and begin to wrestle with him and examine? Or what confession? What do you need to admit right now? I don't know. What do you need to do? I encourage you to pray as I'm praying. God, Father, as we now know, shepherd who loves us more than anything we could ever fathom, more than any 
your love is just good. And so right now, God, you have given us some very difficult things, at least from our perspective. And so my prayer is that our ears would be open to hear. And then my prayer is that our hearts would be open to be convicted, to come to the same belief that Peter came to, one of his disciples, right? And he says that you are Christ, son of the living God. You came to bring hope, and we sing about this. You are a living hope. It's only in you. So for those that are in this room and listening online, that maybe for the first time, my prayer is right now that they would come to that faith and they would say, yes, Jesus Christ, I really truly do believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I don't exactly know all this Trinity stuff. I don't, I don't exactly know how all this other stuff works, but I really truly do believe and I confess that you are who you say you are. I encourage that you do that right now, wherever you are, out loud to God. And then let someone know so you can follow up be baptized in Christ for those and receive not just that seal of the Holy Spirit forgiveness of your sins for the believers in the room and listening online I pray that God you would convict us of whatever that we need to be convicted of so that we can walk out of here and all of us walk out of here trusting you more 100% obedient to you and it's in Jesus name that I pray these things